songs are absolutely perfect for what we're seeing in our text today in Galatians 5, as Paul writes, uh, continuing to make a transition really from chapters 1 and 2, where, listen to me, I got this straight from Jesus, chapters 3 and 4, here's the crux of the gospel, you are free in Christ, and chapters 5 and 6 are, so live free, and here's what it looks like. And so in this transition that we're seeing today, he's basically saying, stand firm in your freedom so that you can live out your freedom. So let me ask you something. As you sing those words, I've been set free, my chains are gone. Do you really live that way? Do we really live like we are free? Does, is that what defines your existence as a believer is, I'm free. You know, much of my life, I thought Christ has saved me, therefore I'm in chains to religious behavior. I wouldn't have said it that way, but if you looked at my life and you could see why I was processing things, that's really how I thought about things. Christ saved me, therefore I am imprisoned to religious moralism and good behavior. He's saying... Today, Paul is saying, you're free in Christ. You were set free to live free. Are you living free? We're looking at Galatians chapter 5, verse, verses 1 through 12. And in this first verse, Paul sets the main emphasis of his point here. He, sa- he tells the Galatian believers in Christ, he says, It was for freedom... That Christ set us free, therefore keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. What does that mean to be free, to be free, to be freed for the purpose of freedom? Freedom from what? What is he talking about? What were the chains? There's all kinds of different opinions about this. There's different uh, ideas of liberation gospel, which says, man... I've been set free from political oppression. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul teaches us we submit ourselves to governing authorities. Others say, well, I've been set free to be who I really am. And that's code for saying, don't tell me how to live. I'm free from religious rules and dogmatism. And Paul says all throughout scriptures, no, those who are free use their freedom to glorify God and to follow him. Some say, you know, they turn it into a a relativistic idea of truth. There's no truth. There's no right and wrong. Don't impose your religious beliefs on me. And that's clearly not what is being taught when all throughout scriptures, Jesus says, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. So there's no one who comes to the Father except through me. There is one way. Narrow is the gate that leads to the Lord. So what is he talking about when he says freedom? You are free, so live free. The most precise answer to that question is freedom from the Mosaic Law. Paul is saying to these Galatian believers who have trusted in Christ, he says in chapter 3, verse 2, you got the Spirit. Remember that, Galatians, when you trusted in Christ and you had a powerful conversion by the Spirit of God? So he knows they are believers. And then come along these Jews who say, well, that's good that you trust in Jesus, but that's not enough. You have to also be circumcised. 
You have to keep the Mosaic law. You have to live under the... You have to be a good Jew to be right with God. Jesus plus something. And that's what we see all world religions do. They say it's something you have to be a part of the formula. You have to do something to be right with God. It's faith and what you do. The gospel message is not the same as that. The gospel message, it is faith alone in Christ alone that makes you right with God. And so these Jews are coming to the Galatian believers who are believers, they've trusted in Christ, they're saying, now you've got to add this yoke of slavery. You've got to put back on your neck this bondage to the law of Moses. And Paul says, absolutely not. And he, what, he, what we see in the Scriptures is that the Mosaic law was a temporary measure until Christ would come. And when what we see in the law is examples of the difference between us after Christ and those before Christ Before Christ, God's presence was in a place. It was restricted to a physical dwelling, the temple or the tabernacle. And Jews were told, if you want to worship God, you worship Him here and only here because there's one God and this is where you worship Him. And so there's this picture of the presence of God dwelling out there externally And that's where you go to worship. So it provided a means of worship. We also see that the Mosaic Law provided sacrificial system, which was a way of temporarily restraining the wrath of God that they deserved for their sin. As they sacrificed a lamb, it was their faith that God would accept that as a restraining effect on the wrath of God that they deserved. It was like the weight or the wrath of God was always a cloud over them. But as they, in faith, sacrificed, it was held back. In Christ, when Christ came, he says, I am the unblemished lamb of God. The God took on flesh and he offered himself as a sacrifice. He absorbed the wrath of God. He took away the sins of believers. He is the one who absorbed the wrath of God, so we no longer live under the threat of the wrath of God. We don't have the cloud of condemnation hanging over us. We have been set free from the penalty of our sin. And when Christ died and he was buried and he rose again from the grave, the resurrection power now sets us free from the power of sin in our lives. And so when Paul says, you are free, Christ says, I settled the wrath of God I absorbed the wrath of God. I atoned for your sin. Now the Spirit of God who was out there, the presence of God in the tabernacle or the temple, is now tabernacling inside of you because sin has been dealt with finally. Forever. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So you have, as believers, the Spirit of God, God dwelling in you. Free from the power of sin, free from the penalty of sin, and free from enslavement to self-righteous law-keeping as a means of trying to earn something with God. And so that's what he's saying when he says, you are free. So let's read it again. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Do not Be subject again to a yoke of slavery. 
With the coming of Christ, God's plan entered a new phase where instead of external, it's primarily an internal from the inside out. It's saying instead of a obedient law-abiding people who are displaying the glory of God and the gospel to the nations, now the church lives from an inside-out experience, a new freedom that is in Christ, a spirit-filled living that produces the similar effect that now as we live out the freedom that we have in Christ, the nations see the glorious transformation that takes place by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our job. That's our existence is to be a people who have been transformed and set free by Christ so that as we live out that freedom, others come to that freedom. Others come to faith in Christ. And that's why Paul is so adamant. He says, you've been set free in Christ. Stand firm in your freedom. Live out this freedom. This is the mission of God, is that we display the glory of God as we live out that freedom. So stand firm and do not go back to the yoke of slavery. So we're going to look today as Paul in verses 2 through 12, he explains two ways that we run back to our slavery. Run back to enslavement, though we have been set free. Let's ask the Lord to help us this morning. Lord, please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, illumine our minds and our hearts. Work powerfully in our midst this morning as we study your Holy Scriptures. May we understand how we are set free in Christ. And then may we understand Paul's message here. Two ways that we run back tragically into our enslavement. Free us, Lord, that we may live free to your glory. And it's in Christ's name that we ask these things. Amen. So in verses 2 through 12, we're going to work through those in two pieces. And what we see here is two ways that we run back into slavery, though we have been set free. And the first one is a theological explanation. Paul says, theologically, here's how you become enslaved, though you've been set free in Christ. Speaking to believers, he says, here's how you become enslaved again, though you've been set free in Christ. Listen to what he says in verses 2 through 6. Behold, I, Paul, say to you, if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision, he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You've been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. But faith, working through love, and the implied is, means everything. So in these verses, it's clear that one of the religious practices that the false teachers in Galatia were telling the Galatians was that they must be circumcised in order to be made right with God. They said, that's good. I'm glad you trusted in the Jesus, Jesus the Messiah, but that's not enough. You must also identify with the religious elite 
and be circumcised. You've got to be a good Jew in order to be right with God. And Paul, the key to Paul's argument, to make sense of it, you need to, we need to look at verse 4, and that unlocks the rest of the verses. Paul, in verse 4, equates circumcision, not as some minor uh, religious performance, he, he equates it to seeking to be justified by the law. Look at verse 4, he says, seeking to be justified by the law. So he says, those of you who are going to be circumcised because you think that that makes you right with God, he says, you are trying to be justified by the law instead of being justified as a gift of grace by faith. Paul explains that if a person is circumcised as a part of seeking to be justified by the law then Christ is of absolutely zero benefit to them. He's completely contradicting the two. He says you can't have Jesus and circumcision. It is either Jesus or circumcision. And if you rely on circumcision, then Christ is zero benefit for you as it comes to righteousness. And then he says back in verse 4, if you have trusted in the severing of the flesh, circumcision, then you are severed from Christ. If you think circumcision is going to add something to your account with God or religious practices, if you think anything is of value there for your righteousness with God, then you have nothing to do with Christ. You can't have Jesus plus religion. It's either Jesus or religion. If it's religion, then it's not Jesus. And then he says, if it's religion, then you're enslaved to religion because you've got to be perfect at your religion. That's what he says when he says you have to keep all of the law, the whole law, if you think some of the law makes you righteous. And that is his description of falling from grace. In other words, if you leave grace for works-based righteousness, you have left grace and you are banking on righteousness on your own merit. So he is making an extremely important point to us today. If you think trusting Jesus got you part of the way and then joining this church got you the rest of the way, you are not in Christ. Christ is of zero value for you if you add anything to Christ. In fact, you are enslaved to this church. You're enslaved to religion. You're enslaved to whatever else you add to Christ. So he works through the whole concept in verses 2 through 4 of the law before he gets in verses 5 through 6 and he reviews the gospel here. He is assuring them. He's giving them assurance He says to them in verses 5 and 6, For we through the Spirit... Notice he says we, talking to these Galatians. He says we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. But faith working through love means everything. So he assures them. Paul reminds them that when they trusted Christ, the Spirit of God sealed them up like preserves. When you trust Christ, the Holy Spirit is no longer out there in a temple. He having, you having your sins 
finally dealt with completely, the condemnation removed, the wrath of God absorbed in Jesus, now you are free to be the vessel of the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God comes into your righteous heart now because of the righteousness of Christ, and it seals it, it preserves it, it seals it so that it can't be broken. And so you stand in the righteous standing of God, sealed by the Spirit of God, and now the rest of your life is described as waiting in faith. Spirit-produced love. You don't work each day hoping that I'm righteous enough for that day of judgment. You live each day in a confident assurance that I am okay and I am going to rejoice on that day because I have been sealed by the Spirit. I have the righteousness of Christ and I'm living out that freedom displaying the glorious love of God each day. And so he says, that's the Christian life. It's a life expectantly waiting, sealed by the Spirit, trusting that you are going to pass with flying colors that day. And every day, it looks like faith working itself out in love. So he's giving these believers assurance as they doubted their salvation. These Galatians who believed once. And in Galatians 3, 2, he says, Remember the Spirit of God powerfully transformed your life. And these Jews came in and said, Oh, you're, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You got you to gotta be circumcised and keep these religious rules. And they said, Oh, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I'm not right with God. And Paul reminds them, yes, for we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting, waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, religion nor lack of religion, means nothing but faith working itself out in love means everything. Look at your life today. Are you believing in Christ and is it producing a love of God and love of others. In verse 10, he says, I have confidence in you, in the Lord. Paul knows they're saved by grace through faith in Christ. Paul knows that their salvation came when they trusted in Christ and irregardless of the law. It was before they were even told anything about them having to have circumcision. He's reminding them of the truth of the gospel that it is amazing grace. And that's the key to our freedom. Paul would say to you today, are you trusting in the gospel? Do you really believe that the penalty of your sin has been done away with for good on the cross of Jesus Christ. If you're a believer today and you're haunted by the sins of the past, Paul is saying to you, stop. You're free from the condemnation of your sin. You have been set free from the penalty of sin. If you're here today and you are struggling with everything you got with that sin that so easily entangles you. And Satan is saying, you can't beat this. This is a disease. 
you must live with this the rest of your life. It's a lie. The gospel says the power of sin has been shattered by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And you'll have counselors and psychologists and psychiatrists tell you otherwise. But don't believe them. Because what you do when you believe, and what I do when I believe that lie, is I give myself an excuse to continue to sin. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says, you have been set free from the penalty of sin. You have been set free from the power that sin has over you. And you have been set free from self righteous attempts of trying to be made right with God. If you join this church because you thought this was going to give you some credit with God, you've got a problem. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The key to transformation in our lives is remembering the truth of the gospel. So theologically, excuse me, we run back to slavery whenever we doubt the gospel. When we doubt the truth of amazing grace, we find ourselves going back to whatever it is that enslaved us. The penalty of sin, the power of sin, or religious self-righteousness. The second way that we run back to slavery is when we don't deal with the doubt. It's a practical argument in verses 7 through 12. Look at verses 7 through 12. Here he shows us that when we don't deal with the doubts that we have about the gospel, then we become enslaved once again. Verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. And here we see the full extent of his frustration. I wish that those who were troubling you would even emasculate themselves. It's the literal translation of mutilate. Paul is very frustrated. He says, you got the gospel right. You were like children when the bell rings at school. Chairs go flying and they dart out to the the playground. That's the freest feel in the world. I still remember that. Sitting there miserable and the bell rings. I'm free. Let's go to playground. And they're running around free and they're just enjoying it. And they're skipping and playing games and just enjoying their freedom. And then that mean teacher says, now I got a new rule. Everyone's got to keep up with their backpack during recess. And so he straddles a little backpack on them. And now their freedom is restricted. He says, you were running free. You knew the truth. You were filled with the Spirit. You were living out that freedom. And God was getting glory. And then someone slipped a backpack on you saying, what about circumcision? And all of a sudden, you're not so free anymore. You're not running and enjoying. You're thinking, i got to keep this law. I'm not quite good enough. I'm not quite acceptable. Maybe the gospel's not all that I thought it was. Little seeds of doubt start creeping in. And I say Satan's seeds of doubts. 
And I get that from verse 8. He says, this persuasion did not come from him who calls you, i.e. God who calls you. This persuasion came from the enemy. As you try to enjoy your freedom, little whispers of doubt. You really think that you've been set free from the penalty of sin? Do you remember what you did? You're the exception. You can't live free. You can't pray. You know what you did. You can't tell others about Jesus, you hypocrite. It's a little lie that Satan plants. And as you face temptation again, and you're trying with all your strength to say no to that sin, and that little voice comes in, you're just going to deal with this the rest of your life. You can't win this battle. And Paul is saying, playing on the words, cut it out. Cut all of that out. Deal with the seeds of doubt in the gospel. And we see the gravity of the problem as he says, I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. This is the same thing he said last week. Cast out the self-righteousness. Deal with anyone who tells you anything other than the gospel whether it's coming from within your own heart, you've got to deal with it. You can't allow that doubt to fester. You have to go back to the gospel and preach the gospel to yourself day in and day out. Yes, I am free in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, Romans 8, 1. I am set free. The resurrection power gives me victory over sin. I don't have to give in to this sin. I can and I will say no right now. And when false teachers come or the self-righteous person in the pew at Sunday looks down his nose at you and that little doubt goes in, you say, that's not, that's not the gospel. Or a false teacher ever stands in your community group and adds something to Jesus, says you're not right with God, Jesus alone, you straighten them out out loud right then and there. And if anyone ever stands in this pulpit and preaches a false gospel, you get them out of this place. The gospel of Jesus Christ says, you are made right with God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The penalty of sin is gone. The power of sin is gone in your life. And the self-righteousness is gone. You are free in Christ. And stand firm. And live out that freedom. You see, when we realize that we have been recipients of extravagant grace, amazing, ridiculous, undeserved grace and forgiveness, then and only then are we free to offer each other radical, ridiculous, undeserving grace, forgiveness, and love. So it's not just about you. It's about God's eternal mission. Church, 
We have to get this right. This is how God will use this church to reach Shreveport Bossier. When we get the gospel and it frees us to give radical grace, extend forgiveness where someone doesn't deserve it, inside and outside the church, it is a city of lights on the hill displaying the glory of God and the transformative effects of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stand firm. Get rid of any doubts about the gospel. Cut it out. And be free to glorify Him. Imagine a couple of weeks ago, I shared how, a, how tragic it is that there still is massive amounts of forced slavery in our world. Women and children are being kidnapped and sold into slavery, most of them to the sex trade. And we talked about the power of the gospel and the picture it is to, to imagine a family from this church going to one of those wicked slave owners and saying, listen, how much would it take for you to just let one of these children come to my home? And then that, person, that family sells everything and gives them the money and takes that child and then says, not only are you not under their care anymore, but you're under eyes, but now we adopt you as a child. And you become an heir to this family. You are a child of ours, and we love you. You're free from that old way of life. You're free from that evil taskmaster. You have been set free. They go to bed at night. How tragic if they wake up in the morning and the child has run away and gone back to the old way of life. They just didn't believe the truth. That's what he's saying. Stand firm. Believe the gospel. Cast out any doubts. Not only for your benefit, but it robs the glory of God and his mission that he has for us as a people who have been redeemed from slavery. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, the gospel is amazing grace. I am the chief of sinners. I don't deserve your forgiveness and your grace. But I have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, a gift of grace by faith. I pray now for everyone in this room. Hearts of faith will leap forward and believe the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that many people in the room right now will have their eyes open, will have ears to hear the truth of this glorious gospel message that no matter what they've done in the past, if they will rest and trust only in Jesus, that his blood on the cross absorbs the wrath of God that they deserve for their sin. And that his righteousness is transferred to them and they are declared righteous as a gift based on Jesus Christ. 
that they will be set free. I pray that we as a church filled with believers who are daily tempted to doubt the gospel, to doubt amazing grace, undeserved favor, that we would cast out any doubt this morning, that your spirit would circumcise our hearts and remove any unbelieving flesh. And that you would then unleash us on our friends and neighbors with the amazing message of unconditional love and acceptance and grace in Jesus Christ. Lord, tip this church out into the community with the glorious gospel. May we so freely enjoy and love and give and be generous and sacrificial and forgiving and loving and gracious because we get it. We have received all of that in Christ. Lord, as this church has covenanted together nearly 200 adults saying, I believe that gospel. Lord, rise up within us. A new faith, a a renewed confidence that we are righteous only because of Jesus Christ. That we are recipients of unmerited favor. That we have had poured into us absolutely undeserved forgiveness, unearned righteousness. We deserved your wrath, but you gave us grace in Christ. Make us those kind of people. Transform us from the inside out. Unleash us from the bonds of doubt. Give us power over sins that so easily entangle us. Give us belief that we are not condemned in Christ so that we won't think we're hypocrites so we'll be set free to share the glorious gospel with others. Give us forgiveness for one another that we would bear one another's burdens, that we would serve one another, that we would embrace justice, that we would be a light to the city, that hundreds and hundreds of people would come to faith through us, Lord. Do it through us, Lord. We can't do it without you. Lord, we want to be the city of lights on the hill in Shreveport, Bossier. We want to proclaim an amazing gospel. And that will only happen as we embrace these truths of the gospel in our own life. Lord, let it be. We believe the resurrection power that we see in the resurrection of Jesus Christ.